Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1. I'm preaching through the book of Acts, and I'm in chapter number one, so it is certainly in line with where we are, at least what we call our, if we have any holy days, these is our holy days. Christmas is not our holy day. It's not ever mentioned in the Bible, but one time in the New Testament, and it is not there in reference to a holy day. But I'll tell you what is a holy day, and that is every time God's people gets together and celebrates the resurrected Lord, that's a holy day. So today's a holy day. And I want to talk to you on this subject with three verses of Scripture, the high points of the saints, the high points of the saints. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, Fill us now with the Word of God. God, now as I read it, I pray that we can just move right into this message. And God, that the Word of God won't stop eating away at what's going on in our heart. God, it seems like we, we, we want to tell you what to do most of the time instead of doing what you want us to do. So God, I'm just going to preach today what you told me in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that there are three elevation points, three very high places, three passages in the Bible that deals with those phases of power and blessing and comfort that comes to a Christian. In these three mountaintop experience, they come uh, out of the camp of unity, number one, they come out of the camp of fellowship, number two, and they come out of the camp of harmony, number three. The first point is the high point of ascension. The high point of ascension. Now, that, that means for us today that we are looking forward to the Bema Seat of Christ where one day we will be crowned for the works that we do in this body. Now, we are knowing that's a high point. It was a high point when Jesus ascended to heaven. Wouldn't you believe that? If we had no record of Jesus ascending into heaven, I wouldn't buy into that tomb stuff. I just couldn't take it. I wouldn't believe it. But when over 500 people saw him personally, and then when they stand there and gaze and watch him go up till he disappeared through the sky, I'll tell you something, I'm believing that. I'm believing that. Now, they wouldn't report it on CNN. No, they'd report somebody that lost their cat in a tree before they'd ever put that on CNN. But the truth of the matter is, that's a high point of a Christian life. Did you know that's as high bodily as we'll ever go until he comes again? That's as high bodily as we'll ever go with Jesus until he comes again. Number two, there's the high point of assembly. When I talk about that, it's the assembly of Christ. 
the assembly of Christ. The, 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 the ascension means that we're waiting on our crowns. We're excited about our rewards. But here, this is something has to do with church. It's that we get excited about the church. We're happy about the church. The high point in our life ought to be the church of Jesus Christ. That's a high point. Not for some people. You know why? Because they don't have anything inside. If you've got anybody that lives inside of you, church is just your life. But if you don't have anyone who has saved you and lives in you, I tell you what, I'd get scared and get down to this altar and get born again. If you can go to the river and you can go down to the campsites and you can go all over the world playing ball and you can go here to this ballet and that ballet and you can go this and you can go to that, but you cannot come to the house of God and you do that regularly, something's wrong with your salvation. I'm telling you something's a high point of assembly. It, 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 it's the high point of my week getting to come to church. High point of my week. Thirdly, there's a high point of adoration. High point of adoration. Here he takes us up into the heavenlies. I guess we could call it celebration in, in prayer. We, we go where Jesus is, but we don't go there physically. We go there spiritually. He takes us up in adoration through prayer. And he when, he gets, when we get in his presence through prayer, he speaks peace to our heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He speaks peace to our heart. It's the only peace I ever know in my life is his. They've just stood and they've watched our Lord lift up into the heavens and been told by the angels that he'd be back that same way. So... The first elevation point is the high point of ascension, verse 12. Let's look at it. First of all, the Bible says it happens at Mount Olivet. Sometimes it's referred to as the Mount of Olives, but pronounced usually Mount of Olivet. And the Mount of Olives was a small, although it rose only 200 feet from Jerusalem. It was just outside the city. You could overlook Jerusalem from one side and down the other side. But pretty much you could see the whole city as you sat at the very top of the Mount of Olives. In fact, if you see a picture of Jerusalem today, do you know where that picture will be taken from? The Mount of Olives. Every time, that picture will be taken from the Mount of Olives because you can see the picture of the Mount of Olives from there so clear. You see the city from the Mount of Olives so clear. You can see the details. You can see the, the old city where it was, and you can see the new city where it is, and, and so you can see it where because it's a high point of ascension. The Mount of Olives was a small, even though it was 200 feet above Jerusalem that was out the city, and you could overlook it up and down, but there's another place mentioned here. It's named Bethany. Now, Bethany, you had to go over the tip top of Mount Olivet and go down just in a little saddleback, and then you moved up a little bit, and there, Bethany, almost, you had to look through just about that much dirt, but almost you could see Jerusalem, but you couldn't. And so that's where Mary, Mar, Martha, and Lazarus lived. I believe Shane preached about them the other night. It seems Jesus ascended on the crest of the Bethany side because he refers to it. 
Acts 1 verse 12 lets us know it was only two, 3,000 feet or a little over a, um, half a mile down to the city. A Sabbath day journey is somewhere between a half a mile and three quarters of a mile, somewhere in there. Sabbath day journey. That's all on, on the Sabbath day, that's all you could walk. Couldn't walk any, couldn't ride any further than that, couldn't do anything any further than that. You know, we have, we have Sabbatarians. Have you, have you ever run into a Sabbatarian? And I know some of their wonderful people, and I love them, but they, they think that we still are to worship on the Sabbath. They think we're still under the law. And so one was witnessing me one day, and he, he drove up to my house, and I happened to know the feller. He said, you know, I just wanted to come by, you know, and talk to you about it. I said, I said listen, I know Jesus. I'm saved. I'm all right. But I said, you just broke the law today. You're a sinner. He looked at me. I'm a preacher, he said. I said, I don't care if you preach or not. You broke God's law. How did I break God's law? I said, the Bible says you're not supposed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day, and you started your car. <laughs> so you sinned. And now when you start your car, you drove it further than you're supposed to drive it, and you got to further drive it back further than you're supposed to drive it. Do you want me to give you a lift home? That pretty much stopped that visit. But Sabbatarians still believe that. Now it was called the Mount of Olives because it was a uh, the mount was a place called Gethsemane. On the side of the mount was a place called Gethsemane, and the word Gethsemane means an oil press, a place to where that they would take the olives and there was an oil press there. There's still the olive trees that grow there, the, the ancient ones and the new ones, and, and the monks keep them trimmed and, and looking nice and, and, so and, and planted, and they keep olive trees always growing still in the little spot that has been designated as that place. It was here that Jesus resorted to prayer. It was his favorite spot. Even Judas knew his favorite spot. When they come to get Jesus, Judas said, wait a minute, I know where he is. I know where he always goes. Let me take you there. And Judas took him to his favorite spot, that place in Gethsemane where he always prayed. You see, it was that place to where I believe Hebrews says that he was squeezed and he was pressured and, 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 and he, 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 he sweated those tears in his eyes and he shed tears for us of a broken heart. Hebrews tells us something about the heart of God in chapter number five about the heart of God and him weeping over every person. And I, I, I share that every time I go, I just don't think you can walk in that place without sensing the place that I've been here before. I was here when Jesus died for me. I sent my sins was on his back. Amen. And that was what Jesus was there for doing, praying. When they come to get him, and of course, you know, Peter pulled his little deal and pulled out his little sword and cut off Malchus's ear. Now, that started a war, except Jesus just reached down and picked up that old nasty ear and stuck it right back on his head. You say, well, didn't infection set in? I doubt it. There's been... He'd be dead and rotted. He's dead anyway, but he'd been rotted off. 
See, folks, when Jesus fixes something, he don't just repair it. He re, redoes it, regenerates it, fixes it. How this man must have felt later on knowing that Jesus had put his ear back on. Isn't that something? Now, you ever get to the times in your life to where you are under pressure? The high point in a Christian life, even though it doesn't look like it, the high point in a Christian life, even though it looks nothing like it, God takes us to that high point on the side of the Mount of Olives, that high point to where he loved to go. Sometimes he would stay the night there. It was a high place because it was a place of squeezing. It was a place of crushing. It was a place to where you suffered. It was a place to where he wept. That was the place to where God took his hands and he put around his man and he molded him and his woman and he molded her into what he wanted her to be. Amen. It was a high place. You don't like it. No, I don't feel good, but that's a high place. That's a high place. It's a squeezing pressure. If you've ever seen an olive press, and they do it about six times, I think, maybe seven. And they've got a big, huge, a great big, huge stone about like that. And they got a pole through it and a, and, a, and a donkey pulling that all day long, just pulling it around, pulling it around, pulling it around, crushing it up, crushing it up, crushing it up. And then they put it in baskets. And then they got this great big long stick and they, they start to squeeze it out of the basket. Now, the first batch is the best stuff. First batch is best stuff. But when they continue to do that, it weakens, and so they, they have to do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, and finally they get the last. So you remember where Jesus said the dregs of the cup? That's what he was talking about. He said on that last pile, that last bunch we had, it wasn't much, but it, we, we got a little dab out of it. He said, "That's I've got to drink that cup all the way down to that nasty, filthy dregs. Secondly, there's the hope of residence. Jesus spent many nights on that mount with only stones for a pillow and birds for alarm clock. The Bible tells us in Luke 21 that and John chapter 7, I think it's amazing that Jesus is teaching on the temple steps and yet the Bible says that they all go home to their house but Jesus didn't have a house to go to. I don't find one of them saying, Jesus, won't you come stay with us tonight? Not one of them said, hey, Jesus, let's take you out tonight. We'll, 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 we'll take you to a, a restaurant down here. We'll buy you some food and, and you, can, you can stay up in the spare room. Not one person invited him home with him. You know what he did? He walked across the little Kedron Valley and over to the Mount of Olives. It was a place of residence for him, a place of retreat, a, 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 a place of renewal. Sometimes we need God to renew our hopes again. He squeezes us tight. We don't like it. 
I was reading an article of the day, and this little granddaughter, grandparents always have great stories, don't they? They lie in most of them. They, they at least enhance them. But she come in, and it was her eighth birthday. And on her eighth birthday, she turned to her grandmother, and she said, Just think, Grandma, one more lifetime, and I can drive. One more lifetime, and I can drive. Some of us live our life like one of these days, we're going to get a second chance. You don't get that out of the Bible. Now, God is a God of the second chance, but he also is a God that says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So be careful. And so let God take you back to that place of hope. It was the hope of refreshment. And then it was the hope of revival. As Jesus looked over this city, his burden was rekindled for his lost people. The tears started to come again. And in Luke chapter 19, verse number 41, Jesus is crying again. He's weeping again. He knows that that, that city is going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. And the burden of his heart is that his people will be destroyed destroyed because they rejected him. He wept. The hope of revival. Sometimes God needs to get us up on the mountaintop. At least we can hope for revival. At least we can think revival. At least we can pray for revival. And that's what Jesus does here. But then there's also the hope of his return. On this mountain, we get more taught about the second coming in any other place other than possibly the book of Revelation and maybe not even there. Because the book of Revelation deals with details primarily about this tribulation period and end times and eternity. But Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 deals with nothing but his coming. Y'all listen to me? Now, that hill was important because as he taught on that hill, that hill filled up with people because they wanted to hear about the Messiah coming again. Now, their deal was that they didn't even believe he come once. How's he going to come twice when he hadn't come once? And so they gathered together to hear this great rabbi with the wisdom, almighty God, of the Holy Ghost who filled him. And he spoke that day about the second coming. Some of them left afraid. Some of them left, didn't know what to do. Some of them left in fear. But also, I place think it's a hope of retribution. I want you to look to the book of Zechariah 14. Book of Zechariah 14 page 1372 that'll help you it was a hope of retribution you see there's days I just want to say God why don't you get them God why don't you just get them why don't you just do something about it why don't you just fix this mess why don't you just change this slop? 
Why don't you help that drug addict? Why don't you cure that? Uh, why don't you change that drunk? Why don't you cure that sick person? Why don't you open those eyes? And then I get to thinking that God sometimes has to take us to the high point to let us know that one of these days he's going to take care of all of that. In the book of Zechariah 14, verse 4, he said, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, when his, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. I mean cleave. That means you just cut it, right? Just slice it. That's what it is. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now, toward the south, here's what you have. You have the Dead Sea toward the south. So when you split that mountain, you op- you're opening the Dead Sea up to fresh living water. But not only that, north, you're opening that up to fresh living water. And Jesus is sitting on the throne finally for the first time. He had already taken over down at the great tribulation period. And that's why he comes marching in on that white stallion. And he gets to the top of the hill. And he's not coming down on a little old burrow this time, on a little old donkey this time. He's coming down on a mighty charger. And he said, listen, son. Sometimes you need to go to the mountain to know one of these days we win. We win. That's what he said. So the upper rooms were, second thing we'll talk about the high point of assembly. I'll do it quick. Upper rooms were large assembly rooms, kind of like we would call maybe a small worship center um, like they now would call it. Synagogue. In that day, it would just be somebody who was a little bit more well off financially than someone else. They would be able to give their large upper room, which usually had an outside entrance to it, and they would allow that place for them. And so most were on larger homes, so the room was built pretty good. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, they'll show you the upper room. I, I don't want to disappoint you, but that's not the upper room. Israel's been destroyed and destroyed and destroyed and messed over and messed over and messed over. We don't know where the upper room was. We know about where it was. And so, you know, we, we've gone in there sometimes, and, man, there'd be some lunatics in there. And they'd be going off, going off and all kind of stuff. I couldn't understand the thing they're saying. All I understand is God said, get out of here, boy. And I got out of there. I said, come on, let's get out of here. And we got our bunch and left. But the upper room was an important place because that's where they had, had the Lord's Supper, no doubt. And it was a private place. It was a resting place and Acts chapter 9, verse 37 and 39, it, it you know, talks about the upper room. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 18, it talks about the upper room. And notice this, there they came after dark so they could have a night service. Some dummy had enough 
gall to tell one of our people not long ago that they don't believe in Sunday night services. Well, I'm going to tell you, I can find more Sunday night services than you can find Sunday morning services in the Bible. Yeah, I could have got an amen, but I didn't. Does y'all think something else is coming? And so when you come, listen, no, this is good. If, I, I don't think it's going to be good to you today, but it's good. When you come to that place, the only way you could have any light in the upper room for you to see by is you brought your own lantern or you brought your own hand lantern. So people down below and people around and people would see that upper room and they'd say, wonder what's going over there. That, look, look at all that light shining. Light's usually dark as pitch over there. Look over there. Look over all that light shining. Folks, if some of us would get to the mountaintop, people would start saying, what's going on to Hillcrest? Look at all that light shining over there. Oh, it's brighter than I've ever seen it. Something's going on over there. Look at that light shining. That's what he's talking about right here. The upper room, when they went there, the last supper. It doesn't seem they stayed here the whole time because Luke 24, verse 53, I think says that they didn't stay there all the time because they were at the temple some of that time, we know. And, and can, you imagine, can you imagine how they worshiped at the temple so much different than all the others because they now had a living Christ? I bet this, jumping over and turning over candlesticks and getting thrown in jail for that. They, they was probably just, man, they was probably, you know, grabbing, grabbing the priest and kissing them on the lips. They was probably doing everything. Just excited because now when they come to that old dead temple, it wasn't a dead temple, but it had a live temple. They was excited about it. So... In 10 days, at least, one Sabbath day and Lord's Day had come, plus they had a time of prayer every day, it seems like. And then, of course, they'd gone to the temple. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean staying out of church till God tells you something. Well, we're going to church, but I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord to tell me which church to join. We would go to church, but... The Lord just hadn't told us which church to join. Well, why don't you try a few and God might tell you. Just try one or two. Just try one or two. Well, this sure ain't the one. Well, try another one. Well, that's not the one. Try another one. And after you've tried them all, there must be something wrong with you. Hmm, that's good. And see, what I'm trying to say to you tonight, folks, this church is a family. We are trophies of God's grace. And Ephesians chapter 1, and in Ephesians chapter 1, verse chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, he tells us that he wants us to be like 
Jesus so badly so that when Jesus comes again, that he can say to everybody here, say, I want you to look up here at all my people. You see all of my saints? You see what I did for them? I went to Calvary. I washed them in my blood. I changed their life. See that guy on that white horse? He used to be a drunkard, but now he's on fire for God. And Jesus just goes down through there bragging on his saints, his trophies of grace, and not one person and can find one thing wrong with any of us, even your wives. Not one thing. Trophies of grace. Both coming to church, I'll be a high point. And I'll be a high point of assembly. Most church members are never together enough with God's people long enough and with the right spirit to see the high points of assembly. Who got to get, you know, who got the double portion of power when Elijah was caught up into heaven? Who was it? The one who stuck with him. One who stuck with him. We need an upper room today and tonight of assembly which should make us feel at home with God's people. Because hmm. I don't feel at home. Maybe you need to get up on the mountaintop get this altar and say, God, I, I, I really haven't contributed to anything. I, I really hadn't prayed much for the church, hadn't given much to the church, hadn't served much in the church, hadn't been real faithful in my attendance, hadn't done much of nothing for the church. So, Lord, today I just want you to take me up to that high point and make me, make me sense that I am a part of this body of Christ called Hillcrest Baptist Church. There's the last thing. There's the high point of adoration. They prayed. They prayed. Look, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer, the Scripture says. You see, that word prayer there has a different word. It means worshipful bowing in supplication. It is the, it, it, it is the word that's falling on your face. It's that kind of prayer. It's not just saying, you know, you know, just now, now lay me down to sleep. You know, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's not that kind of praying. No, there's not anything wrong with that, but that's not that prayer. This kind of praying is for help. You see, sometimes we've got to get up here for hope. Sometimes we've got to get up here for help. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help in time of need. And you say, well, what are they doing? Well, number one, they're praying for the Spirit. They know the Spirit's coming. They know the Holy Ghost is coming, so they're praying for the Holy Ghost to come. God has made a promise. The Holy Spirit's coming. They're praying. Number two, they're praying for the selection of the person who's going to take Judas's place. So they've got two real prayer needs that we know they're praying for. They're praying for the Holy Spirit that God has promised would come. That is a prayer in God's will. Secondly, they're praying for the selection that would fill, obviously, the place that had been vacated by the uh, cursed Judas who had kissed Judas and went to hell. That man, they, they knew they could pray about those things. 
So they're praying in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit, let me just say something. You know, Judas is a good place. For, I got accosted a few weeks ago preaching somewhere. By the way, don't bother me. They're usually too ignorant of the Bible to know what to do it. And I was, she started telling me all this stuff. So I got up from the pulpit the next night and I shut all that mess down. I said, that ain't in the Bible, folks. I just want you to know that for our start tonight. 175 people. I said, that ain't in the Bible. And so I went down the line and I told them that that wasn't in the Bible. And I said, now turn such and such, and I preached the devil goes to church, and that's what I preached on that night. So at the end of the service, she, they, they always get the end, like this, well, well you know, well, I, I guess we disagree, but I love you. I said, you have to. And she looked at me like she thought it was crazy. Have to? Yeah, you have to. So I didn't say no more. I went on talking to other people. So the next night she come back. Last night, I really did. She wouldn't even even remember the church. She was just a guest. She said, I, I, I really did mean last night what I said. I love you. I said, you have to. She's still looking at me. She's still looking at me. She's still looking at me. She didn't have a clue what I was talking about. You can't be saved unless you love the brethren. Amen. So she has to. So because the, the body has been so divided in Baptist churches, and we've written up our bylaws, and we've got all of our pages, and we've got all of the little deals we do, and I guarantee you more churches have been split over, split over business meetings than anything in the whole world. And I'm going to tell you why that a business, Baptist business meeting is wrong. Because the Holy Spirit don't vote yes or no on the same thing. Y'all didn't hear it. Remember that when we're sitting in our deacon body and it's the will of God, if we got five folks says, you know, I think this way and six folks think it's this way, we need to step back and say this might not be the will of God. I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Ghost don't vote yes or no on the same matter. And so, folks, we need to be real careful about our praying because we want an assembly that's strong in prayer, amen? You say, well, who else was they praying for? Souls. Now they're going to have power. They ain't had no power before, but they're going to go out of that room and they're going to run down their steps and the first person they see, they're going to embrace and they're going to sit down here. I want to give you the Roman road and it hadn't even been written yet. And they just start telling people about Jesus. Who are they praying for? Lost people. Who are they praying for? God would put lost people in their path. Who are they praying for? People that the opportunities would come that they may win them to Jesus' pride. They're praying for lost people. And then fourthly, they're praying for strength. 
Listen, folks, when you start winning, trying to witness for Christ, I'll tell you, it gets tough. It don't, it's not easy. People mess with you. People try, to, people try to bother you and bug you and stop you, correct you and fix you up and change you, shut you up. Just, just get you a reputation in a town after a while, and they, they won't try to shut you up no more. You witness long enough somewhere, they won't try to shut you up no more. I'm serious. You know why? Because they know it won't do a bit of good. Do a bit of good. You say, well, they throw me out of this restaurant. Yeah, but I can stand outside and witness anybody I want to. I'm going to say, go to, don't go eat in there, but here, here's how to go to heaven right here. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Let me ask you something. One of these days, we're going to come back and we're going to be that high place of victory. But till then, we still walk through the valley. But every now and then, we need the Lord Jesus to take us up and give us some hope. Take us up and give us some help. Take us up and give us some strength when we're hurting. So maybe today you need the Holy Ghost to do something for you. It's been a real difficult day. The devil has been angry today.